Well, good morning and welcome to Westbridge Church. My name is Eli. I'm one of the pastors here. I also want to welcome those of you in our parent viewing rooms. It's great options for those of you who have young kids who you want to keep with you during the service. And I also want to welcome those of you watching online. We're so glad you're with us this morning. Well, can you believe that we made it to Labor Day already? We're sleeping with windows open. It's fall almost. School is starting. We survived the summer, so praise Jesus. Is anybody happy? Kids are going back to school. All right. Well, we made it, uh, and I just want to give a little bit of wisdom for you parents who are putting kids in school for the first time this year. Um, I think back to, it was about five years ago, and Benjamin, my oldest uh, child, my only son, we went to preschool for the first time, and before we jump into it, I need to give you the definition of wisdom, because I need you to use that as you hear this story. So the definition of wisdom here is this. Wisdom is knowledge rightly applied. Wisdom is knowledge rightly applied. So Benjamin, at that time, uh, he was a little nervous when he wasn't with us, and he was a little uh, anxious about the unknown. And so that morning, as I was making him breakfast, he was pretty, he was pretty fearful to the point where I wasn't positive if preschool was actually going to happen that day. Well, I was able to sit with him for, through breakfast, talk him through, turn fear into courage. It was probably one of my top five dad moments, and uh, he was ready to go to school. But right then, that's when my wife, Ashley, walked in, and at that time, she was seven and a half months pregnant with our youngest, Evie, and also wasn't feeling very great. And when she walked into the kitchen, there was this perfect storm of like, my baby boy's leaving me, and like pregnancy hormones, and it combined into this just raging cry. And as soon as she started crying, Benjamin started crying, and I got super frustrated because I had just spent 30 minutes turning him into this brave child. And so I looked at my wife and I said these wise words, and so you do what you want with them. But I said, Ashley, your emotions are affecting my son. So I'm going to need you to calm down. Mm, oh, you guys know that calm down. Okay. Okay. I'm going to need you to calm down. Maybe remove yourself from the kitchen, compose yourself, and come back when you're better. And here's the crazy thing, guys. It worked. She left. She came back. Everything was fine. This is what Benjamin looked like on his first day of preschool. He was so cute and handsome. Look at this guy. Scientist. In the spirit of honesty, that did not happen. Um, it was not the first calm down in all of history that actually got somebody to calm down. It made things worse. It was pouring gasoline on an emotional fire. But eventually, eventually... We did get things calmed down. He did have a great first day of preschool. And I wish, I wish the story could end right there. But I went to the office that day. It was in the mall at the time. And I walk in and every woman on staff is there. And I don't know if you ladies have like a secret Facebook group or a text message thing where you're like, hey, my husband messed up today. So if you see him, you're going to want to make sure to remind him he messed up. So I walk in to this room full of my friends, and one of them who also dropped off their kid for the first time said, hey, how was Benji's first day of preschool? And so I went into detail of what that morning looked like, and the horror 
slash anger that fell on their faces. And it was like, it was like Shark Week when you chum the water and the frenzy comes. I was, I was the chum that morning. And what I realized was uh, I, did, I did something wrong that morning. I knew, I had some knowledge. It was my wife's third pregnancy. I knew how this plays out. And I don't know if you know this, it is a fact, you can Google it. There are extra hormones when you're pregnant. This is, this is Google, not me. And so I had taken my pregnancy knowledge and I had applied it to the situation I was in. But wisdom is more than knowledge. Fools have knowledge, uh, demons have knowledge, dads whose kid is going to preschool for the first time, they have knowledge. But you gotta remember that wisdom is knowledge that is rightly applied. What a wise uh, husband might have done that morning was approach that scenario with maybe a little more compassion and empathy and say, yes, uh, I know this is probably a hard morning and we're feeling all the feels and I get it. So let's, let's acknowledge that and, and move forward. So I want you all to just learn from that. And this week as you're dropping your kids off at school, Remember to apply your knowledge rightly. It'll save you, it'll save you a beating. <laughs> well, I want to say, I think everything that's in our lives that's great, it most likely didn't come easy. In fact, I would go so far to say that nothing great ever comes easy. Great marriages take years of sacrifice and forgiveness and overlooking annoying things like how they load a dishwasher or which way they put the toilet paper. Great careers are not built overnight. Great friendships, great finances, great churches, which this one just turned 16 um, this last week. Great fitness, great children, those all do not come easy and they take time. And wisdom is the same. You don't go to bed one night unwise and wake up in the morning wise, and I know this because I think Ashley has been praying for that for 12 years now. So this morning, we're gonna talk about wisdom, and Jesus paints a very clear picture of what someone who follows him, what they should do if they wanna grow in wisdom. How do we grow in wisdom? How do we use wisdom for our daily decisions, whether they're big or small? How do we know if we've made the wisest choice? Most decisions we make every day, they don't carry a lot of consequence, but there are areas in our lives where our decisions are a big deal, and we have no choice because the stakes are so high that we have to get the decision right. Choices and decisions we make when we're single, they can definitely be hard, but they carry a little less weight because your decision doesn't affect as many people. When you add a spouse, your choices and decisions carry a little more weight. When you add a kid or two or three, they carry a lot more weight. And the more people who are affected and connected to you, the more people that you have to be conscious of while you're making these decisions because your choice affects so much more than just yourself and it's important to get it right. Who are you gonna to turn to for wisdom and truth in your life? And I found the answer to this, I think it's, it's pretty clear, it's this. You will turn to whomever or whatever you have faith and confidence in that will bring you the best outcome for you and your situation. 
I know that was a long answer, so I'm going to say it one more time. You will turn to whomever or whatever you have faith and confidence in that will bring you the best possible outcome for you and your situation. Everyone pursues wisdom differently. Some pursue wisdom through books, through podcasts, through life experiences, through relationships, whether family or friends. But Jesus taught his followers how to live and how to grow in wisdom on the Sermon on the Mount. If you haven't read that passage, you can find it in Matthew chapter 5 through 7. But Jesus, in that message, taught about justice, taught about how to care for the needy, taught about religious laws and divorce and fasting, judging others, salvation, how to pray, and so much more. But what Jesus did on the Sermon on the Mount was he challenged the status quo. He challenged those who follow him to do better than just what society allows or expects. Jesus concluded the teaching of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27, and he said this. He said, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. When the, rain, when the rains and floods come, and when the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. There's two observations that I find interesting in this passage. One is that Jesus talks about the difference between the wise man and the fool, and it's not just knowledge on how to build a house. Both men wanted a house that would protect them, protect them from the storms. Both men applied their knowledge and built. But the difference between the wise and the fool was how they applied that knowledge. The wise man rightly applied his knowledge and built his house on the rock, and it withstood the storms that life brings. But the fool's house collapsed because he had built on the sand. The second observation I'd like to talk about this morning is that just because you're wise doesn't mean there won't be storms. I find it interesting that Jesus used the words, he used the words, though and when, though the storms come, when the waters rise. Jesus could have said anything there. He could have said if, he could have said if the storms come, if the winds blow. And wouldn't that be great if Jesus was like, if you follow me, no storms. Instead of people being able to recognize us because of how we love each other, someone might come up to you and be like, you follow Jesus? You're like, yes. How'd you know? Oh, it seems like your life's pretty perfect. You're like, yeah. Yeah, that tracks. That makes sense. But he doesn't say if. He does not say if. He says though. Though the rains and torrents and floods, when the storm comes, you won't collapse because your foundation is on the rock. Rightly applying the way Jesus said to live your life will make you wise. I don't think I could talk about a wisdom on or a message on wisdom without mentioning King Solomon. King Solomon was one of the wisest men in history, and he wrote a book called Proverbs, and that book is known as the Book of Wisdom. There's over 31 chapters and over 900 sayings of wisdom. And if you're looking to grow in wisdom, this is probably a pretty great place to start. 
So this morning, in our remaining time together, what we're going to do is focus on 1 through 900. We're going to go through rapid fire here. <laughs> we're going we're to compromise. I'm going to do four. There's a lot of repeating words in the book of Proverbs, and one that I found interesting is the word path. Path shows up 29 times in the book of Proverbs. Every one of us here today or watching online, we're on a path, and we know that that path is leading somewhere. The daily decisions that we make are leading us somewhere. The career path we are, we are on is leading somewhere. How we treat our spouse, how we raise our children, it's leading somewhere. So there's two questions I want you to ask yourself this morning is this. What path are you on and where is it leading? What path are you on and where is it leading? We are all on paths, some are right, some are straight paths, some of us are on bad paths because of choices we've made or maybe because of situations that are out of our control. I get that you can't control where you were born or what family you were born into, but the choices that we make every day are leading us somewhere. Just like eating fast food and never working out, it's leading somewhere because every choice is actually a path. Every choice is actually a path. For good or for bad, every choice is either leading us towards life or towards danger. And King Solomon, I think he says it really good here in Proverbs 27, 12. He says, a prudent person foresees danger and takes precautions. The simpleton goes on blindly and suffers the consequences. When you're on a good path, when you're on the right path or the straight path, when you're making wise choices, you can see where your choices are leading you. And for good or for bad, you can adjust and make corrections. Right choices lead to great paths, and great paths lead to great lives. But the opposite is also true. Bad choices lead to bad paths, and bad paths can lead to a bad life. So this is why we daily need to do this. We need to choose the right path. Choose the right path daily. One of my favorite Sol uh, Proverbs from King Solomon is found in chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. It says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. There's so much to unpack in these two verses that we're going to go through just line by line and talk about it here. So it starts with, trust in the Lord with all your heart. So how do we trust in the Lord with all our heart? Well, we trust people that we know. And we get to know people by spending more time with them. And when we spend more time with them, we can then decide if we trust them or not. And I think through this passage, Jesus is saying, come and get to know me. And the more you know me, the more you'll trust me. And the more you trust me, the better your life will be. But you need to do that with all your heart. You don't trust, we don't trust our hearts because our heart, they often betray us. So we need to trust our Heavenly Father with our whole heart. We submit, or maybe a better way to say it is we yield. We yield our passions and our desires 
to God's ways. Because how many times have you followed your heart down a path that's ended in a horrible, dead-end decision? It happens a lot. King Solomon goes on in the next line and says this. He says, do not depend on your own understanding. Hopefully all of us at this point in our lives, whether we're young or old, we have some sort of understanding that we've created. Whether through life experiences or through education or jobs or through friendships or relationships with our family, we all have added to our understanding. But here's the contrast that Solomon is creating in this passage. What he's saying is when your understanding bumps in to God's command, God's command trumps your understanding. Whatever your understanding is relationally, God knows best. Whatever your understanding is financially, God knows best. Whatever your understanding for your career is, God knows best. So what we need to say is, I'm going to allow God's word and God's way to trump my own understanding. The next line King Solomon says is this. He says, seek his will in all you do. I ended up researching this line for a long time, and what I found was, in all you do actually means in all you do. In your parenting, in your career, in your relationships, in your finances, in your health, and in your marriage, in your daily decisions, in all you do. You acknowledge that God knows better than you do. And acknowledge, again, that means we submit and we yield our way to God's way because God knows better than I do. In other words, we're saying, here's my understanding. What do you think? I'm acknowledging your way. I'm submitting to you. I'm submitting, I'm yielding to your way. I like how Solomon ends this passage where he says this, and he will show you which path to take. There's another version that I'd like to share with you that says, he will make your path straight. Now, I don't know about you guys, but when I think of a straight path, a lot of times I think of an easy path. And I don't think that's what King Solomon's saying. I don't think he's saying, your path will be easy if you do this. A couple Saturdays ago, 44 guys from this church rode 100 miles to raise money for organizations that deal directly with the need for fatherlessness. They raised over $67,000, so I just want to humble brag those guys. Also want to thank just everyone who's been involved with that, so many people, but thank you. Well, I had driven that course earlier in the week, so I'd be familiar with the route that day, and what I had mentally prepared for was that I thought miles 80 through 100, the last 20, were gonna be the worst part of this course. It was hilly, it was curvy, I didn't know that existed in Buffalo, but it's there. But I found out I was wrong. It was actually mile 72. Mile 72, we turned south and went directly into a 20 mile an hour headwind on a slow four mile climb to the next turn. And it was soul crushing. (laughs) I later heard that a guy who did the ride with us who does triathlons for fun Uh, also was struggling on that portion, and that actually brought me a lot of comfort. I was like, okay, all right, we're supposed to be suffering here. 
Now, there's things I couldn't control. I couldn't control the wind. I couldn't control the incline. I couldn't control that I was on a smaller bike because mine had broken at the second stop. All I could do was stay on the right path until the next turn and hope it got a little better. Choosing the right path doesn't mean you get the easy path, but nothing great ever comes easy. When we come to a fork in the road, when we have a decision ahead of us, before we launch down that road of least resistance, or we use our emotions to, that we're connected to to choose a path, if we will just pause and surrender our understanding and our knowledge to God's way, he will show us which path to take. So pastor of a megachurch, his name's Craig Rochelle, he's also a successful author, and he said this, and I think it applies, you don't have to understand completely to obey immediately. You don't have to understand completely to obey immediately. What I've found in my life, and I feel like it gets more and more true with each year that passes, it's this. It's if you want the quality of your life to get better, then you should surround yourself with people who are moving in the same direction. Now that doesn't mean politically we align 100% or we see everything the same way, but it means we are moving in the same direction. I love that I have friends around me who challenge me to be a better version of myself, who are close enough to see a weakness and call me on it, friends who will pick me up when I fall, friends who, friends who might just tell me, hey, this might be a time to keep your mouth shut. And that happens a lot. But when I'm surrounded by those types of friends, it's truly the definition of what Solomon says in Proverbs 27, 17. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. The quality of your friendships can determine the quality of your life. And I believe that because I've, I've lived that. But Solomon goes on and he says something very similar in this verse in Proverbs 13, 20. He says, Walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with fools and you get in trouble. That's so simple, but it's so true. You walk with the wise, you're going to get wiser. You walk with the strong, you're going to become stronger. You walk with those who have good marriages, your marriage is going to get better. You walk with those who are smart with money, you're going to get smarter with your money. You walk with men who wear skinny jeans and deep V t-shirts, you're going to join the Westbridge worship team. <laughs> We're looking for a bass player. It's simple, but it's so true. Ashley and I tell our kids, you are who you hang out with, so choose wisely. Are you with friends who build you up? Are you with friends who bring you down? Are you with friends who challenge you to be better? Or friends that make you worse? You've probably heard the saying that you are the sum of the five people you spend the most time with. And some of us might not be able to name five people outside of our family that we are sharing our lives with. We get home from work or we've been chasing kids all day and we collapse into our favorite chair and we numb ourselves with Netflix or a screen and we get lost. And that's, that's the easy path. That takes zero effort. That takes zero sacrifice. And then we act surprised when our life gets zero better 
I know that English isn't right, but it makes sense. Zero effort plus zero sacrifice, zero better. Remember, nothing great ever comes easy. The straight path isn't always the easy path, but if you want the quality of your life to get better, the quality of your marriage, to be a better parent or employee, a better friend, it's probably time to get off that chair, push yourself out of your comfort zone, and get on a straight path. Because if you want the quality of your life to get better, surround yourself with people moving in the same direction. You've probably heard the saying, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. Sometimes I feel like that's what's going on here with me. I'll get a call from a wife who says, my husband's he's angry, he's, he's depressed. Can you help him? I say, yeah. We got couples groups, we got groups just for men, would he join that? No, he won't join a group. Okay. We have events where we serve coffee and donuts and we have athletes come in and talk about their faith, would he go to that? No. Okay. Uh, we have challenges where we challenge ourselves to get stronger physically. Would he do that? No, but he needs to. Okay. Would he meet for coffee or lunch? Probably not, but will you ask? Okay. And for me, the saying becomes, you can lead a horse to water, you can't make it drink, but I feel like I'm being asked to just splash water on his face <laughs> and hope something gets in. If you don't like the path your life is on, you most likely didn't get there by accident. So change it. Get on a better path. It's not too late to change. So I want you to ask yourself this question this morning, is what is your next right step? For some of you, it might be just reaching out to us and saying, hey, I'm on the wrong path and I need help, and we can help. For some of you, it might be time to start using your talents here and join a serving team, and with that, we can also help. For some of you, it might be time to stop hanging out with simpletons and fools and join a group and get some better friends. Fall groups launch October 2nd, and I challenge you to either join one or lead one, but get some better friends. You might not be able to get to the right path overnight, but this morning I think you can take a step and just get a little closer to that right path. In the late 1900s when I graduated high school, 1998 to be exact, I thought I wanted to be a pilot. The original plan was to come here, go to college, fly on the side. But college life was busy. I needed a job. I also played two sports, which I know you can tell looking at me like that is what athleticism looks like. And I put that plan on the back burner. But after college, I was making good money. I didn't have a house payment. And so I thought it was my time to pursue my pilot's license. So in January of 2005, I started my training. I know it's probably modernized by then, but it started with a stack of books and some maps. I found my old pilot log book, and I want to show you just how long ago it was, because do you guys, do you kids back there know what this is? It's a, that's a disc. That's how information used to travel. And I remember studying alone in my apartment because I knew there was some major tests coming up. The first one being my first solo, which sounds Maybe a little more intimidating than it is, but it's three takeoffs and three landings, and you do it without your instructor. After 18 hours of training, he said I was ready, but I kind of doubted it because 
I had been training myself, and I didn't know if I would be able to recall the information I needed to if something bad happened. But he said I was ready. And so I remember sitting on the runway and saying a quick prayer and also thinking like, eh, something bad happens, it's just me, right? So <laughs> single, little smaller decisions are consequences of it. But I took off. To my surprise, I passed. Now there's a pilot's tradition where when you would do your first solo, they cut the tail off your shirt. I thought that was interesting until I learned the story. The tradition came from when planes were tandem, so the student would sit in the front and the instructor in the back. And anytime the instructor needed to advise or correct, he would tug on the student's shirt and give him instruction. By cutting the tail off your shirt, the instructor is saying to the student, I trust you to fly the plane, I don't have to pull on your shirt anymore. The next big test was a night cross country, which again sounds scary, but it basically meant I fly to Mankato and back in the dark, but with an instructor. Night flying's different than daytime flying because during the day, you, you chart a course and you can use landmarks to, to follow your path and confirm you're on the right path. Night flying is different because you can't see anything out there and you have to solely rely on your instruments to get you to your destination. To complicate things for me, Mankato, at least back in 2005, their air traffic control tower was not manned during night. And they are not like Motel 6, they don't leave the light on for you. I wasn't sure that reference would catch. <laughs> but there is a way for airports, for pilots to turn on the lights of the runway. And that's when you cross within five miles of that airport, if you click on your microphone five times, the runway illuminates. Now on that night, according to my instruments and my speed, I thought we were within five miles of that airport. So I started clicking, one, two, three, four, five. Pitch black, okay, all right. I'm like, no big deal, no big deal. Wait another minute, one, two, three, four, five, still nothing. I look over at my instructor, he doesn't seem alarmed, so I pretend I'm not alarmed. I'm like, did I miss a turn? I'm in Iowa, anywhere but Iowa. And I realize, all right, I miscalculated the headwind that we were going into, and I wasn't five miles out yet. So I recalculated, realized where we were, waited another minute, one, two, three, four, five, and out of just the pitch black, this runway, doo, 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 lights up. And it was beautiful. I had been on the right path the entire time, even though I couldn't see it. There's a psalm that I couldn't help but think of in that moment. It's Psalm 119, verse 105, and it says this, your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. I think that's what our Heavenly Father does with us. The more we know him, the more we spend time with him, the more time we spend in his word, the more we embrace his way of living and yield ours to him, the path lights up, the path gets brighter. But there might be some of us here this morning that you've leaned on your own understanding and now you find yourself on a path that you never thought you'd be on. And you're tired and you're scared and you're exhausted and you're feeling the weight of all these little decisions that have ended you up on that path and you feel lost and alone and in the dark 
hoping to see a light. The good news for you this morning is that you're not alone. Your story is still being written. It's not over. And your heavenly father is in the back seat and he's just tugging on your shirt saying, hey, let's course correct a little bit over here. That path leads to Iowa. You don't want to go there. He's whispering, man, hear my voice. You can trust what I'm saying. Even if you can't see where you're going, you just listen. You're going to get on that right path, that straight path. And I promise that even though it's dark now, the light, the light is coming if you hang on just a little longer. So maybe you're here this morning. You've been ignoring that tug on your shirt from our Heavenly Father, and you're still leaning on your own understanding. Your next right step might be to trust him with your whole heart, with your whole life. And if you notice when you walk out today, all of us have our shirts, shirt tails still on. None of us have arrived. We all get that gentle tug every once in a while. Nobody's perfect. But if you haven't experienced that peace, that comfort, that healing, that gentle direction and correction from a father, I want you to know that the story of the Bible cover to cover is that God is building a family and he wants you in it. And if you've never said yes to that invitation, I'm going to invite you to join me in this prayer as we close this morning. Heavenly Father, please forgive me of my sins. Please forgive me for the times I've walked away from you. I admit that I'm broken and I'm lost and I need you. I want to say yes to your invitation. I know that you're a good father who gives me direction and clarity and peace and shelter in the midst of life's storms. Guide me and direct me and help me to hear your voice. I ask you to adopt me into your family. Make me your son. Make me your daughter. Help me to trust you and to follow you. And Father, for those of us here who want to grow in wisdom, I ask that you help us to hear your voice, to recognize your voice, to listen to it, and to make those course corrections that you're calling us to do. We ask you to give us courage to do that. We thank you for it. In your name, amen.